I'm Nick Beatman, and today I'm here with a special guest, Valerio, probably better known as at Guy on Twitter. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Nick. It's always a pleasure. So the last time you were on, we hinted at a discussion about red, and this is that discussion. So we're going to uh, focus on mono red good stuff and whether that's possible. And if so, what does it look like? I'm going to start by laying a whole lot of context and, and data out there, and then we can really dive into red specifically. I want to start with a definition and tell me if you agree with this. Uh, I tend to think of good stuff as a deck that doesn't necessarily rely on its commander and which relies more on raw card power than on synergy to win. Do you think that's fair? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with this definition. I would also maybe um, like to expand a little bit on it in the sense that uh, I think that many people, when they think about um, good stuff, they think of uh, cards that are, uh, you know, they are powerful in any deck, like independently of the commander. So we're thinking mm-hmm. about stuff like, I don't know, like Ristic Study and Smothering Type. So for me, like a good stuff deck is a pile of cards yeah, that doesn't matter where you put them, and they they will perform. Uh, they will be very strong. I tend to think of it as cards that increase your resources or answer your opponent's threats efficiently. Like that's the majority of a good stuff deck in my mind. Um, and it, it tends to be a lot of cards that show up in the like high in the EDH rec rankings because. They're being played across so many decks because they don't ha- require any specific synergies in order to be good. Maybe I was just thinking we could add also cards that can easily end the game on their own. There, there are not that many in Commander, but um, maybe, yeah, I would say resources, answers, and then, yeah, cards that can easily end the game. Um, usually, I mean, it's the, uh, being the format... Uh, Multiplayer with 40 life, you need something uh, usually really big uh, to have something that can uh, single-handedly end the game, but maybe it's another category that I would uh, sometimes classify as good stuff. I'm not sure. I have, I have to... Let, let's see uh, <laughs> during the discussion if I change my mind about uh, this third category. Sure, sure. Um, so very quickly, I want to run through some data. So if you look at the top 100 cards uh, in each color on EDHREC, you can sum up the copies of those top 100 cards just to get a a sense of the relative popularity of those sort of format staples, of those main deck cards. So uh, I'll go through these not in color order, but sort of in descending order of the the number of copies of the top 100 cards that are being played. So green's top 100 cards uh, collectively have 15,720,000 copies played in decks on EDH rec. Blue has 12,602,000 copies being played of its top 100 cards. Black has 11,032,000. 
white has 10,359,000, and red has 9,362,000. So I, I know it's a little bit naive, a little bit hand wavy, but just looking at these rankings, um, it, it kind of personally, it aligns what I think of as the most popular colors in commander green is far and away in the lead. Um, and, and red, according to this metric is the least popular color. It's, it's cards are seeing the least play. Uh, what do you think about this, this data I'm presenting? And of course this is as of the time of recording, it could change over time, but what do you think of this data? Does this sort of like align with your, assumptions about the format is this surprising to you uh no i mean uh, this is not uh surprising <laughs> um i would say that uh, i mean my kind of uh, preconception about commander is that the green black and blue colors are the most prevalent and the most powerful and that uh white and red are kind of lagging behind despite the fact that, as we will also discuss during the, the podcast, why it has improved a lot uh, during the past years. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, when looking at the, at the just a list of the top cards for each colors on EDH Rec, it's also kind of um, evident uh, what, what's happening. Uh, and if you look at green, you will see that most, like a, a large part of the most played cards are ramp cards. Uh, if you look at blue, you will see that you have um, counter spells and card draw, which is what blue is known for. Uh, black has a lot of tutors and removal. White has a bunch of um, removal spell and board wipes. Uh, and red, I mean, this is what we will discuss during the uh, during the episode. But like, even even if I'm thinking about like what's the role of red as a even as a support color in commander, there is not a single thing for which you know for which I would say red is the best at this. Um, because I mean we'll also discuss probably this point during the episode. I mean the answer completely changes if I'm if I'm thinking about uh, sixty guard formats. I would say mm-hmm. red is the best at aggression and being fast like the burn decks, like the red deck wins. But yeah. this archetype does not, uh, it, it does not exist in Commander. It does not work really well in a 40 die format. And so, yes, like uh, we get all we need in terms of producing more mana, uh, produ- uh, drawing more cards, and removing threats uh, from white, blue, black, and green. Uh, and red is kind of, it's not clear what... What its role as a support caller is, so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I want to take a moment to sort of like walk through this exercise I did, and and you know I'm sure you've got experience in this arena as well. But in, in order to prepare for this episode, I wanted to just go through each of the mono colors and just make decks with as many of those top 100 cards for each color as I could. Um, just to get a sense of like, what is the the color default to doing? What is its base game plan before you start like building around your commander? If you couldn't cast your commander at all, uh, what would a typical mono green deck look like? And and or, or mono white or mono black, whatever. Um, so starting off with 
mono green, just as you mentioned, like in the top 100 cards, you're seeing a lot of ramp. I think that the 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 deck would default to running a lot of mana dorks, um, running a lot of of cheap creatures that get on the board, accelerate you, um, maybe some some interaction like Reclamation Sage, and then you're you're relying on your creature synergies to like keep your hand full. So you could run things like Guardian Project, Beast Whisperer, uh, maybe some some draw effects like Shamanic Revelation. And so that's what that's what you're using to keep your hand full. And then at some point, you're going to have enough of a board presence. You're going to have enough mana that you can just tutor out a crater hoof uh, and win the game from there. Does that uh, align with your experience of the the mono green decks you've played or played against? Um, do you think that's a fairly typical game plan for these types of decks? I mean, absolutely. And also, I mean, I should say. Uh, mono green, like green, is not all. all uh, it's not only my favorite color in EDH, but it's also uh, the color that I'm most uh, uh, familiar with uh, when building decks. Like the the color that it's easiest for me. Like if I have green in a deck, I can build that deck uh, mm-hmm. easily. Like I struggle much more with color combinations where where I don't have green. Uh, where I when I have green, uh, in some sense, like I feel that I, I I have everything that I need, and this is also admittedly because I'm a big fan of creature strategies, and mm-hmm. uh, of course green is the best support color for creature strategies. But like uh, like if if I have green in the in my you know the colors of a deck that I'm building, I know that I will not have any issue like building an efficient mana base. I can even you can even do it uh, on a budget because the fixing and the ramp that you get is like the top of any other color, no contest. Uh, then like card draw is amazing. The only thing that basically you're required to do is to play creatures and this is what the color wants to do anyway. And actually I would say this is not the only. Uh, it's not only what Green wants to do, but it's what Magic wants to do as a game. Uh, uh, what, what the tendency that Magic, uh, uh, you know, has taken in the past years is to improve the quality of creatures. Uh, after you know many decades in which the, the creatures was m- m- much less powerful than spells. Yes. Yes. So now you know the creatures are so good, and Green has the best one best ones that you don't have to make any sacrifice to play more creatures and green is the color that uh, you know um uh, favors you uh, you know uh, for for playing creatures so card draw is is amazing ramp is amazing the creatures are the best uh for their mana value of any color uh and you also have the best tutors that tutor for creatures and uh, the finishers are, you know, there is just an embarrassment of riches. You have Crater Roof, you, ca- you have um, Tooth and Nail, you have Finale of Devastation. Um, so, you know, the tutors are also often the finishers. Uh, yeah, like green as it all. For me, like if you tell me to build a mono green deck, I will, uh, it will take me half an hour because like it's by far the easiest uh, for me. Yeah, that was uh, my experience as well. It was super, I I barely had to change just like the top 100 cards to get a functional deck uh, when I was trying to build mono green. 
Uh, and then one like subtle benefit of building mono green, and I think part of the reason it's so popular is also um, because it tends to interact less with its opponents. It's more about going over the top. I think in, in some casual circles, there is much less stigma associated with winning by doing the mono green thing than there is by like, I'm going to play a control deck and counter all your spells, or I'm going to uh, kill all your creatures. Like green is just like, I'm going to do my thing and go over the top and I'll win without often without like really disrupting you a whole bunch. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of like artifact enchantment disruption, but uh, overall, I feel like it's less disruptive than the other colors. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it is true that if you look at the um, uh, removal options uh, for some types of permanents, like creature. Well, okay, this is maybe not even so true. Okay, let let's go over. Uh, let's maybe quickly mention what are the uh, weaknesses of green, or what what are often uh, considered the weaknesses of green. And you you just uh, mentioned the the lack of answers, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. green is very good at removing uh, artifacts, enchantments. I think that also the ability to remove creatures has improved a lot in the past years because we got some really good uh, fight spells or spells that, uh, I don't know, maybe we can call them punch spells, like spells mm-hmm. like uh, Ram True, that uh, uh, they're not really fight spells, but only you have only your creatures uh, dealing damage to the opponent's ones. And we got some really good ones. And usually green is the color with the biggest creatures. So these are... In most green decks, they perform as kill spells. Uh, yeah, I mentioned already Ram True. Now we got the new Contest of Claws. And there is also one that I really like is um, Tail Swipe, which is a one-mana instant fight spell. So creature removal is also pretty good. So you don't have board wipes, uh, for sure. Like There are some cards that are... Similar to board wipes, like uh, Azuris, Azuris Predation or... I, Apex I mean, Altasaur. Exactly. Um, I mean creature board wipes, because if you want to uh, destroy artifacts and enchantments, that, that's really easy, uh, like with Bane of Progress and these kind of cards. Uh, but this is also, you know, a weakness that is kind of uh, fake weakness, because if you're playing the green strategy, usually you should, if your deck is doing its thing, you should have the biggest, scariest, meanest board. And so, like, it should be your opponents that are trying to wipe the board to contain you, and it, sh- it should be the one that, you know, uh, <laughs> that will lose the most uh, if a board wipe uh, results. So, yeah, I mean, you should force your opponent to wipe uh, your board if if your if your green deck is doing uh, the right thing, is working correctly yeah i i definitely agree with that i think you can for the most part kind of just ignore what your opponents are doing and just be confident that like you are the danger like they need to worry about you cuz you have this like inevitability um that if that you will probably just uh, amass more resources than your opponents if you're left unchecked. All right. Uh, do you want to move on to blue and and mono blue good stuff? Yeah, let's go. So uh, mono blue good stuff is pulling in a lot of those things you mentioned. It's pulling in the efficient counter spells. 
Uh, it's running a lot of efficient card draw and it's, it's playing the game largely at instant speed. It has a couple of like quote unquote board wipes just like that are mostly mass bounce effects in like cyclonic rift evacuation, similar cards. Um, and the, the challenge with blue is perhaps the win condition. And a lot of the, the things I would classify as win conditions in the top 100 blue cards are really just combos. I think that mono blue is going to default <clears throat> towards uh, playing a long game, like countering threats as they arise, uh, drawing cards, and then hoping to tutor out some kind of combo that will then win the game. Um, does that sort of align with your experience with mono blue? Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I love to build uh, monocolor decks and two-color decks. And one of the decks that I, I've had for the longest time is uh, Braids, uh, Conjurer Adept, like the, mm-hmm. the blue Braids. And uh, I built a deck, I built a deck a long time ago, and I decided to um, put a restriction on the deck to make it a bit different from the other uh, Braids deck. And it's a very simple restriction. I am not playing any Eldrazi. And um, so basically to end the game, I'm relying on some big sea monster creatures. And it's always a struggle, <laughs> even uh, even with the Braids ability like uh, that allows you to cheat big stuff into play. It's always a struggle to end the game, uh, you know, in a fair way, because this is a, you know, uh, it's a fair deck. It's a teamy deck. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it is true that when I look at, um, at other, other common blue commanders, you find that uh, very common ways to end the game game uh, are like uh, you know the dramatic scepter combo making infinite mana then maybe casting i don't know a brain geyser or something and um and winning the game with some infinite mana outlet uh so yeah i mean uh, this is definitely the, uh, this is a department in which blue is struggling is the the, the finishers absolutely uh, all right. Any uh, last thoughts on blue? Or are you ready to move on to black? Because I feel like you have plenty to talk about for this one. Uh, yes, for sure. I, I, I think that blue, uh, I would just, I would put it just uh, barely above red in, in its ability to stand as a monocolor in EDH. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think when we will we'll have discussed all the all the colors, we will have a, an overview uh, of them. But like. I can already say that after taking a look at the top cards and uh, what are the most popular monocolor commanders, I think that, uh, yeah, blue uh, would also need probably some help. We'll come back to that idea. I think that'd be fun to explore further. Um, But for now, let's move on to mono black. Uh, So when I look at the top black cards on EDA Trek, it's it's as you described, a lot of uh, mass and spot creature removal, um, a lot of tutors, and then there's also um, it's, it's also very effective at recurring cards from the graveyard for value. So I think a a mono black good stuff deck would be kind of like the classic mono black control. Um, you would really keep the board clear of threats. Uh, Maybe you would have some ways to attack your opponent's hands, um, but you're just protecting yourself by by killing everything that comes down. And then you have a lot of uh, efficient 
ramp options like uh cabal coffers is of course a staple in this color identity because it it gives you so much additional mana over the course of the game and then there's also some other mana doublers that you might look into and then i think uh in terms of win conditions the the classics are like exsanguinate or torment of Hailfire. uh just these ways to interact just like kind of kill your opponents without having to commit anything to the board really it's just i have reached this point where i have ridiculous amount of mana so i'm going to use that to directly kill you does that mesh with your experience what does mono black look like for you so this is an interesting question because uh, i have a mono black deck that i like but like for many years i was trying to build a mono black deck that would feel kind of unique and um with a strong uh, identity. And uh, what I realized is that every time I tried to build a mono-black deck, it ended up basically being the same cards um, with a different commander. Mm. And um, uh, the, the kind of cards I'm talking about, so as I mentioned, I'm a fan of creature strategies. So the, the type of pile I would end up with was basically a lot of um, you know creature that would um, uh, benef- have some ETB or some die trigger that would be beneficial for you, that would make your opponent lose resources, then some ways to uh, you know uh, recur your creatures from the graveyard, um, some uh, drain effects like Blood Artist, uh, Zulabor Cutthroat, and the deck would always end up feeling always the same kind of pile. (laughs) I tried different (laughs) commanders, but it was always so similar. So now my current mono black build, uh, which I I built because I wanted something extremely casual, like to play with some new players, is uh, the Haunt of Hightower, Uh, Hightower, which is um, kind of a Voltron commander. Um... Which is, I mean, uh, there's some discard and sacrifice elements, but um, yeah. So I, I, th- I think that black mono black works extremely well, uh, maybe even too well in the sense that I don't know. I think that we are lacking uh, some some uh, novelty factor. Uh, like I, I, I really personally have been struggling to find something that would fit fresh. I don't know if you had the same experience uh, if you tried building some mono black decks. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I actually have a friend who kind of noticed the same thing that like the core mono black deck was was so similar for so many commanders that what he ended up doing is he uh, he ran a bunch of the black legendary creatures like in his main deck. And then every game, he would flip cards from the top of his library until he hit a legendary creature, and then that would be his commander for the game. Like that's how interchangeable <laughs> he thought the commanders were. Um, that's that makes total sense, actually, and it's a pretty yeah. funny way to to do to do it. Yeah, uh, but but no, I agree with you. I think uh, mono black is um, very strong. One one thing I didn't mention is just like the quality of the card draw as well. It deserves mention. Um, between not only just powerful engines like Necropotence, um, there's a lot of good one-shot card draw. Like Promise of Power is 
the rate it offers is is pretty hard to beat. Um, and then there are uh, like lots of death triggers. Like if you're building the the black deck that's all about sacrificing its guys over and over, then you can get a lot of value off of things like uh, Midnight Reaper or um, like Dark Prophecy. There's just many different avenues to to draw in a bunch of cards in black. Um, but but I agree, it's a, a pretty strong color identity. Mm. And I wanted to quickly mention that I said that like I, I've been struggling to find a mono black commander that I liked, but there is one mono black deck that I have and that I really love, and uh, this is part of my project of building. It's kind of a long term project that I have of building uh, uh, one of each uh, why monocolor deck, uh, a monocolor deck for each color, uh, but using only cards printed before uh, 8th edition, which is the edition in which they changed the border uh, for, of the cards for the first time. Oh, um, yeah, so this is, this is a stronger rest- so, Sometimes people ask me, like, oh, is this uh, pre-DH? No, this is much a, a stronger restriction than pre-DH, because mm-hmm. pre-DH, I think, is just before the first... Before uh, Commander 2011, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which was 2011. And I think that 8th edition came out in 2003 or something. And so my deck is uh, um, Chainer uh, in uh, in this project. I have a Chainer deck, a Kamal deck, and I still have to build the others. And actually, I was surprised at how strong uh, it is. And it can go toe-to-toe with modern decks. Mm. Um and I think this is because many of the strong uh, black cards, like that, are the core of this pile. You know that that, that is the good stuff of black, are actually quite old. Uh, stuff like you know Phyrexian Arena or um, Necropotence or uh, Demonic mm-hmm. Tutor or uh, Vampiric Tutor. Um, yeah, I mean, I have all these cards in my Chainer deck, and uh, the, the strategy is pretty simple to reanimate big monsters and. And it works really well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's funny how how so much of Black's power is concentrated in older cards. Uh, like, it's great that, uh, like, heck, you have access to Cabal Coffers, like the most important card exactly. in Modern Black. Yeah. <laughs> um, very cool. Uh, okay, let's let's move on from, I think, the, the easier good stuff decks to build uh, to one of the more challenging ones. So... Uh, recently ish, uh, like in the last couple of years, I've been tinkering a lot with mono white good stuff. I, I just noticed that wizards has been putting a lot of juice into white lately. Uh, they're clearly trying to give it a lot of new tools in commander. So I've just been slowly tinkering with a deck, adding the new staples that wizards is printing to try to get a sense of like, what does mono white good stuff look like and uh is it viable and when i first started with this deck it was just not good at all um it was still lacking in a lot of of key areas including like spot removal um the the suite of cheap creatures wasn't really there yet but over the last couple years it really has uh gotten a ton of stuff i would say like I mean, we, we did a whole episode on this, um, but it's it's gained a ton of new tools. And I think that 
there are it's i think it's great on spot removal um the card draw is is getting there there's you know enough things like esper sentinel archivist of ogma that you can kind of uh keep your your hand refilled as you're answering your opponent's threats and some of the the biggest uh, hurdles uh, or rather one of the biggest challenges i've noticed is just winning the game i've had uh games where i've played this deck and uh my opponents just conceded because i like clearly had control of the board but also clearly like wasn't gonna win anytime soon (laughs) so it was uh it can be like not fun to play against. And, and of course, like you will eventually run out of answers. Um, and when that happens, uh, you know, it, I think that white really needs a way to close out the game. It has been getting some tools like, uh, Moonshaker cavalry, but it's nowhere near like green status when it comes to ending the game. Like, Green has many tutors for its many win condition for its many win conditions. White has no tutors for its few win conditions. Uh, and that I think is makes it challenging to close things out with with mono white. But uh, this is I think like the first three colors we went through are, are pretty like solidified in, in terms of what their good stuff decks look like. Uh, I'm curious, like what what's your take on what mono white might look like these days given how much change there's been over the last couple of years yeah so I, I i should mention it i never tried to build a mono white deck personally i'm taking a look at your list um uh i mean um the the list um not i think the uh, not the lauren of the third pact list but the um mono white good stuff list that you prepared and uh, yeah, first of all, it's impressive to see how many of these cards are from the past, uh, I would say, four years. Like really, mm-hmm. really a, a big part of them is very recent. Um, I think that white is um, is finding again... Um, so, okay, l- l- let's put it this way. I think that for s- some part of the recent history... Um, green was kind of um, stealing part of the identity of white, or was kind of, um, yeah, was kind of had part of white's identity. And I'll explain what I mean. And this is, I mean, this is not something that I think, but it's also something that is um, is often um, is a topic that is often um, discussed by. Uh, Megan Smith, I hope I'm remembering the name right, is the green member of the Council of Colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, green is the best at creatures, uh, but for some time, green was the best at both both going tall and going white. So you would have the best payoffs for going tall, like uh, Rishkar's expertise, and you would have the best payoffs for going white, like Rider of Behemoth. Um, and white, despite being always, you know, the, the color of white weenie, the color of going white, didn't have many tools to actually close the game with small creatures. And I feel that now, I mean, uh, and I actually know that now they are trying to give back this strength to white. So the, the ability of like winning by having a large number of small creatures 
and closing the game um, uh, using um, this army of small creatures is something that should be white, not green, and it's going back to white with cards like not only the, the card draw cards like Welcoming Vampire that lets you draw cards uh, when small creatures sent at the battlefield, um, but also with cards like uh, the Monshekel Cavalry that you mentioned, which is basically White's uh, Crater of Behemoth. Uh, and uh, I should also men- mention that another white finisher that I uh, really like and it works quite well with having, you know, uh, an army of small creatures, more or less, let's say, it's uh, Acromas Will. Uh, and, I mean, I found that uh, that card, like in any creature deck that involved, that has white, you, you always want that card. It's, uh, it's one of the best finishers for creature decks uh, overall. So I think this is an aspect of white that was stolen from uh, by green for a time, and white is getting back. And I think we will see it in also in the in the future. And I hope that we get more uh, finishers along the lines of Acromas Wheel and uh, Monshaker Cavalry. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so mono white, good stuff. Could definitely use some work. I agree with you there. Um, but it's it's getting there. It's uh, the the improvement over the last couple of years has been vast. Um, let's move on to red though uh and this is the deck when i was doing this exercise when i was coming up with all all of these lists um this is the deck that was by far the most challenging for me uh because because as you mentioned there isn't a lot of coherence in the top 100 red cards on edh rec and it's not clear uh i mean it's not clear how i'm interacting with my opponents it's not clear what my win condition is how i'm going to win the game it's not clear like how i'm going to refill my hand (laughs) over the course of the game there's just so many question marks that that i had when building mono red good stuff Uh, i think there's just a ton of challenges for this color identity and what has been your experience trying to to build mono red good stuff? Or what do you think the game plan is supposed to be? What do you think the strengths and weaknesses are? How, how does it feel relative to the other monocolor identities? Well, I'll mention first that I, I built a mono red deck once, and it was a Bergy deck, a Storm deck. I think I played with it like once or twice, and then I took it apart because it was uh, extremely boring. But I think that this is uh, just because it was a storm deck. So basically, you wouldn't do much until you had your big turn, and then either you whiffed and you lost, or you won the game. Mm. Um, but uh, so this is my experience building red decks, one red decks. Um, I think I would like to start uh, once again by the, the top cards, because I think that we can understand a lot by taking a look at, at them. Uh, and maybe I, I can read just uh, some of some of them, like just names, uh, to to give the listeners an idea of like why I have the impression that this identity that the other colors have um, really clear is missing for for red. So uh, going from the most popular card to the less populars, so we have Blasphemous Act, 
Chaos Warp, Jessica's Will, Faithless Looting, Vandal Blast, Dockside Extortionist, Deflecting Swap, Thrill of Possibility, Abrade, Itali Prima Storm, Gamble, Lightning Bolt, and then we start to see some cards that are really specific to some strategies because we see Stormkin Artist, which makes sense, you know, if you're building a Spellslinger deck, but it's definitely not a card that you would include in any deck. Then we see Impact Tremors, which makes sense if you're building a deck that plays a lot of small creatures. Then we see Valakut Awakening, which is generally good. But, you know, we don't have to uh, go down too much in the ranking to see cards that are very specific for some strategies. Like, just a little bit down, there is Goblin Bombardment, which is definitely a card that I wouldn't include in, uh, you know, any red deck. And for the other colors, we have to go much further down, I think, to see these very specific cards. And also, like, there is no clear identity that is coming from, even from the, you know, from the top uh, 20 cards. There is some uh, removal, there is some kind of card selection, there is some ramp. Yeah. So already, like, by, by looking at the top cards, it's not really clear what the identity of of, of uh, red should be. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. it's not helped by the fact that uh, some of the things it's dabbling in here, it doesn't have a lot of deep options for them. Like, Blasphemous Act is the, the number one card on this list, but how many board wipes does red have that are on the same power level as Blasphemous Act. Uh, like, it is singular in its quality. Um, it's it's kind of difficult, like, if you saw that and think and thought, like, I'm going to build a red control deck, then you're going to have a lot of trouble because it's like, okay, you get your Blasphemous Act, maybe you get your chain reaction, but the, the quality drops off really fast. And if you want to wipe the board with, like, a Starstorm uh, then you're going to have to pay like seven or eight mana to do it. Um, it's just like the efficiency of of most of its board wipes isn't there. And then there's kind of a similar problem with like the creature removal we see. Like, okay, you know, you've got a braid, you've got lightning bolt on this list, uh, you have chaos warp, but for the m- most part, it's challenging to answer high toughness creatures in red it's something that they're working on we, we've seen in the last couple of years we've seen some ways to answer larger creatures in red in the last couple of years between like wild magic surge or zoyoa's justice um, but still it's not nearly as many as we would need to to feel comfortable in a game of commander certainly not as many as the other colors have access to i definitely agree i think Blasphemous Act may even might, might even be the the most popular board wipe in EDH, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But it, it, it's exactly is a singularity. You you only have this one, and then the second best one is a huge drop from Blasphemous Act. And I think this is also the problem when discussing um, the issues of red uh, uh, with other people. Like I was uh, sometime I mentioned uh, some time ago, I mentioned on Twitter. Uh, the fact that um, that red would need some help in commander, 
And one of the most common answers I, I, I got was like, red needs help, but you have dockside ex- extortionists, deflecting SWAT, uh, Jessica's will, uh, you have um, chaos, uh, not chaos war, but maybe blasphemous act. And of course, like these are excellent cards. I mean, they are so strong that basically one of the, <laughs> in CDH, the reason to go red is basically to play dockside extortionist. And you would have all kinds of uh, ways to tutor it, uh, it, to steal it from other players, to copy it. It's one of the most broken cards in uh, in Commander, but it's one card. Like, uh, if you go past dockside, the ramp options in red are really bad. Um, mm-hmm. If you go past uh, Jessica's Wheel, uh, the... Uh, card draw. I mean, it's 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 not so bad. It has improved in the past years, but like, uh, it's a huge drop, like from Jessica's Will to the next best um, card draw spell. And the, the same is true for um, for most of these cards. And also, we see some cards, and this is I have <laughs> some cards or some of these cards I have a pers- personal issue with because, like, I don't know, like we see some of these cards in such a high uh, spot in the in the um, in the ranking, and I think that uh, this is wrong. <laughs> and um, I mainly I'm talking about faithless looting, which mm-hmm. is a great card if you can take advantage of your graveyard. But many people just treat it as a uh, uh, some card advantage or card selection spell, which uh, I'm not sure how good it is because faithless looting is is gives you no card advantage. Actually, it's card disadvantage because you use one cards to draw two and then you discard two, so you lose three cards to get two. So if you can use your graveyard, it's good, but otherwise it shouldn't be treated, in my opinion, as a staple. And the same thing is true for Gamble, for example. I, I totally agree with you there. Faithless Looting is fine if you're doing some kind of reanimator strategy or otherwise recurring cards from your graveyard. If your graveyard is a second hand, then you don't mind so much. You're, you're able to recoup the loss. Um, but like, I don't, it, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't feel good to run it in say like a, in a deck that has access to card draw in other colors. Like if you're playing a blue red spell slinger lick, list that isn't interacting heavily with your graveyard then why would you choose to run this when you have blue card draw on the table or if you're running like a red black list that isn't messing with its graveyard why would you run this when you have black card draw available um it is strange to see it so high in the rankings when in most multicolor identities you have better options barring graveyard interaction yeah, and and I think I mean this this could be uh, its own uh, episode, but but I think this is it, it's part of what I call the uh, trap cards, like cards that are known to be really strong in other formats. And for some reason, I think that I mean because of this, I think people perceive them as much stronger in EDH than what they actually are. So another example, just to mention it, because I think it's exactly the same as uh, Faithless Looting is Brainstorm. Like I keep brainstorm is the fourth most popular blue card, and I keep seeing new players including brainstorm in their deck probably because they go on EDH track and they see it. 
Uh, it's a card that if you don't have a critical mass of fetch lands or top deck manipulation, does not make sense uh, in, a, in a generic deck, uh, mm-hmm. at least to me. But I, uh, yeah, I think these are cards that, you know, probably because they are very popular in other formats or I don't know, maybe maybe there is another reason, but uh, there, are, there are some cards that I really don't understand why they're so high and Fadeless Looting is one of these. Yeah, it is certainly strange. Um, so I think that like compared to the other colors, it's just really difficult to. Uh, well, actually, actually, let me ask you about win conditions. Going through the top red cards, uh, you know, we we see some controlling cards, we see some combo cards, we see a lot of cards that appear to be restricted to narrow color identities. Um, just from going through the top red cards, like how do you think a red good stuff deck is supposed to win the game? This is definitely another department in which red uh, struggles. I think that, I mean, you can definitely go the combo route. Like there are some uh, mono-red combos like um, Dual Caster Mage and Hit Shimmer. Uh, but red on its on its own uh, struggles to tutor for these combos so basically you're relying on drawing them there are some ways to deal damage based on the number of non-creature spells you cast but all of these are kind of is like a critical mass win condition like you need a lot of these cards and you need some turns to actually close the game uh, I would say that, like when when I think about uh, you know cards that I would use as uh, finishers in a mono red deck that does not have any specific strategy or any specific uh, um, you know game plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I think of uh, cards like Insurrection. Um, I mean, uh, of course, they also they they rely on the fact that your opponent has to play creatures. Uh, but I think, I mean, at least if we're talking about casual uh, tables, this is usually the case. Um, and, and I mean, Insurrection is a classic uh, commander finisher that is still ca- quite effective. Of course, uh, the higher the power level, the least likely is that you'll be able to win a game with Insurrection because it costs eight mana and because maybe other people are not... Uh, you know, are relying on combos rather than killing you with combat uh, when the power level is higher. But um, yeah, I mean, these are cards like Insurrection, Mob Rule, uh, are some of the cards that I would uh, say they don't require such a big setup. You can just cast them and try to win the game uh, uh, with them. But apart from this and and combos, uh, yeah, there, there's not so much that I see. Yeah. The the one thing uh, that there is a critical mass of in red that could potentially serve as a win condition or is just like huge X spells. Could be Comet Storm, could be a rolling earthquake for a ridiculous amount. We do have a ton of those just like big X spells that deal damage to players. Depending on how you see drawing the game, if you're like me and think that drawing the game is basically the same as winning the game, that could be a potential win condition but it's not the same as 
like how black is able to to run exsanguinate or torment of hailfire because black is always going to have its cabal coffers and you also don't have to devote a ton of deck slots to these win conditions in a black deck because you can also just tutor the exsanguinate out when you're ready or tutor the torment of hailfire out when you're ready in red there are some cards that could potentially generate a huge amount of mana to get you to the point where you're able to comet storm the table but finding them is quite is difficult or impossible and then finding that comet storm itself is is also quite hard like there's what is the second like mana geyser or, or maybe it's dockside but what's the third card of that quality that's able to take you from very little mana to a ton of it getting the big rituals consistently is a challenge especially because the the few ways that red has to go up on cards which are like impulse draw and wheel effects um those don't work well with like setting up a combo like if you have a you know a mana geyser and a wheel of fortune in your hand you can't use the wheel of fortune to dig for the comet storm or or you can but you're you're gambling there like you can cast the mana geyser and then cast the wheel of fortune and hope that you get what you need uh <laughs> but it's it's not the same as as how like any other color can just draw tons of cards draw t- tons of cards okay here's my second combo piece now i kill you and and same with like impulse draw if you impulse draw into like one half of your combo but the the other half is nowhere to be found you're just gonna have to fire it off or lose it forever you just can't sandbag things in red yeah yeah, absolutely i was thinking exactly the same like of course you have these big damage effects but like you're not able to produce easily the large amount of mana that you need to actually use them to end the game as you would do with uh black or green and then black doesn't only have cabal coffers it has nirkana revenant it has crypt ghast it has a lot of ways to to produce a, a ton of mana it has the tutors as you mentioned to to get this uh, these cards um and also i wanted to mention since since you mentioned wheels that i also think that these cards are sometimes a, a, a trap like cards mm-hmm. like uh, you know wheel of fortune they are treated as uh, staples uh, by many players. Uh, of course, uh, Wheel of Fortune has a, has a reserve list card. It has an insanely high price. But uh, I think if it was, I mean, it is still super high in the ranking. Uh, and I think this shows that uh, most players are including it in the red decks. I think it's an excellent card, but you should really be careful like how you use it because this is a multiplayer game. So you are drawing seven cards but you're giving 21 cards to your opponents. And if you don't have a way, you know, to stop them from interacting or winning right there, uh, you could just uh, lose the game because of, uh, of a wheel. Uh, so, um, yeah, just to mention that something that is considered as a staple way to get card advantage in red is much riskier than what you might think which is really thematic for red i mean red is the color that's supposed to do risky things to to gain an advantage um yeah that that's a great point there so like wheel of fortune can certainly bring you up on cards but it's best in a situation where you're digging for something that will win you the game right now because as a way to just kind of like refill your hand over the long game 
okay, I got a, a new handful of answers, but all my opponents just drew new hands full of threats. It's not great for controlling your opponents, really, which is what like sort of the good stuff decks in other colors tend towards. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think? Like, because we both tried to build this kind of monored good stuff deck. Um, what would you say if we if we discuss like what we found that was the easier part, the hardest part uh, of building these decks? Because, because there are some things I would like to discuss, like some uh, you know departments in which I think that red is uh, kind of in a good place, and some departments in which it's actually struggling. And this maybe can um, introduce then the discussion of on how we would uh, improve red, like. Uh, you know, if we were designers, let's say at Wizards, or like, what, sure. what are our, our suggest- <laughs> suggestions to improve the color? Let's have you go first because it's difficult to find the bread on on like a compliment sandwich here. <laughs> okay, so I tried to to build a monorad good stuff deck. Um, I actually uh, chose a commander, but just I, I tried to choose a commander that uh, didn't give the deck any specific direction. So I chose Urabrask the Hidden, like the original Urabrask, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, creature you control, have haste, creature your opponent's control, enter the battlefield uh, tapped. So there are some, there are some cards that um, specifically, let's say, combo with Urabrask, like for example, the card Smoke, uh, that's a red enchantment for red, red. Uh, each player can untap only one creature per turn, I think. Uh, but I, I didn't, for example, include this card because I really wanted to keep it, uh, you know, I, I just used the commander as a kind of signpost. Um, okay, so <clears throat> let's see. So what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, for the for the ramp, I relied, uh, and, and maybe, I mean, we can probably... Uh, I can probably share the list with the listeners in the notes. Uh, but like for the ramp, I relied pretty heavily, as you might expect, on artifacts. Um, I think that, of course, like, you know, you have your Jessica's Wheel, you have your um, Dockside. But uh, for the most part, yeah, you have to rely on artifact-based ramp in red. Um, so that works. I think also other colors, you know, like blue. Uh, they have to rely on artifacts for ramp, and there's no particular issue with that. Oh, I would like to mention the card Curse of Opulence, which I think is really strong, and it's a really powerful uh, uh, card, not only for ramping, but, you know, I'm always surprised when I see these cards uh, getting uh, played early in games, on how just, you know, for the minimal advantage of getting a treasure, basically everyone would just mercilessly murder the person who's enchanted by this card. Like, I think it's actually much stronger than what I originally gave it credit for. And, and, and the fact that you are like generating multiple gold for yourself each turn as your other opponents attack that person, like the amount of mana and, and resources you invest in it compared to what you get back is incredible because it is such a, a juicy reward. It, it is enough to, to get people swinging. Yeah, not only it gives you resources, but it di- diverts uh, attention from you to to the player, to the poor player who's enchanted by the curse. I, I think it's one of the best, maybe the best curse and one of the best uh, ramp cards in, in red. This is a really good one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so in ramp, uh, for the ramp, you have to rely on artifacts. Uh, so the answers, uh, like removal, board wipes, as we discussed, uh, already in this department, uh, red is lacking a little bit, as we mentioned. Um, and in particular, I mean, uh, we the creature removal is damage-based, uh, which means that for the most part, it is um, balanced, and this is a big theme, I think for red, it is balanced, uh, uh, it must work for uh, also 60-card um, format. 60-card? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for the spells that can target uh, any target, like Lightning Bolt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yes, okay, one one red mana, you can remove mm, many of the most popular commanders. It's not so bad. But, like, if there is some big creature that you have to get rid of, it becomes much more difficult. You're basically relying on your Chaos Warp, Wild Magic Surge, so you always justice, and that's it. Like there is basically nothing else. If if you have you know a uh, a Blightseed Colossus that you uh, okay, so which one? So my wild magic surge wouldn't even work for that. So you know, if you have to really get rid of a of a big uh, <laughs> big uh, scary creature, you have those three cards, uh, and that's it. Uh, so already here we start to see some problems in building this list. I just felt like the the things I, I most like about red and I think red's greatest strengths um, are things it's not in the best position to capitalize on. Or, or one thing I would say that red is the best at is sculpting its graveyard. Red has now so many of these cheap rummaging spells that if your game plan is like, I'm going to get a big fatty into my graveyard and reanimate it on like turn three. Like you, you kind of would like to have red in your color identity. You would really like to go, you know, tormenting voice on turn to discard some horrible monster and then play like an animate dead on turn three. But red doesn't have the ways to interact with its graveyard that it really needs in order to make those types of cards good. And and another thing I noticed as just like this actually is pretty sweet uh, is like extra combat spells. But red's creature quality is not incredibly high. Yeah, this is is something I wanted to mention, actually. I, uh, I, I definitely felt the same, like that the creatures, the good creatures that I I mean, I, I, I try to build actually a, uh, a deck that tries to end the game fairly, like just with creatures, because I didn't want to give it any specific uh, direction. And yeah, I have to say that I struggle to find a critical mass of good quality creatures. Yeah, yeah. Like if I had 15 or 20 professional face breakers, um, or, or just like a curve of, of professional face breaker type of cards, then suddenly like the relentless assault type cards would would become really insane like if i had all these creatures that could generate mana as they attacked uh you know but also potentially convert that mana into cards then i could sort of kind of like not quite combo off but just have incredible turns where okay i attack with my three face breakers get nine treasures play a relentless assault do it again 
just go up on mana, go up on cards. That would be incredible, but it's just really difficult to find that level of quality at at the really low end of the mana curve. It's like, okay, you could run Ragavan, but there's just not nearly as many as I think we need. Maybe Inti is there. I just want cheap red creatures that I don't feel embarrassed about playing and and that can sort of contribute to my ability to win the game later in the same way that, you know, green is running all these mana dorks because they're just good cards, but they become a resource when you're counting out your like exactly how much pump you're getting off crater hoof and and kind of the same for white too. Like white is running, you know, these Esper Sentinels or these, these deep gnome terramancers, these, uh, Skyclave apparitions because they're just fine cards, but they become a resource when you draw the Acromas, uh, the Acromas will. So I want Red to be able to do that as well to unlock its uh, its aggro enablers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I mean, white and and green capitalize on these creatures also because uh, not only because they help you close the game, but because if you draw draw them late game, they they usually um, also draw you cards because maybe you have your welcoming vampire, you have your guardian project on the field, so you just play your Lanoir elf and draw one, maybe two cards, uh, and red has nothing of the sort. Uh, I'm I'm happy you mentioned Inti because I I think it's uh, you know a promising new uh, efficient creature for red. Actually, it would be also I think really interesting to build around the. Uh, him as a commander uh, because it has this ability that lets you basically impulse draw when you discard that works really well uh, with our red draws cards um, mm. which is also a, a good segue probably in the next category which is card draw I also found that you know in the category of card draw we are still uh, struggling quite a bit uh, in red personally I really like the direction that uh, Wizard has gone in in the past few years, which is uh, of giving us more efficient impulse draw options. Uh, but I still feel like that we don't have um, a critical mass of them. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of cards like Reckless Impulse and uh, Ren's Resolve because they are basically, um, well, first, they're very efficient. Uh, basically, I should probably say these two cards are, are exactly the same card and, and basically what they do is that for one colorless and one red at sorcery speed, you exile the top two cards of your library and you can play them until the end of your next turn. So I like that they are efficient. It's like two for two, two cards for two mana. And you get not only your current turn, but also your next turn to play them. So it, you know... Uh, sometimes it can feel bad if uh, there is the close that you can play the card only until the end of the current turn and then you don't have the mana to do so and you lose the card but I think that when you can play them until the end of the next turn it uh, feels much better um, yeah so I'm a fan of these cards but we don't have enough of them to really you know make it work in uh, mono red yeah and uh, I, I enjoy them as well. I think that they're a promising avenue, um, provided that we have enough cheap things to cast with them. I think that you know if you're filling your deck with 
if, if the curve in your red deck is really high, they do lose some value. And one unfortunate thing about them is that they can be less good if you have a lot of reactive spells in your deck. Like if there's just not a great target out there for your abraid, um, then hitting it off the off your reckless impulse can feel a little bit like a whiff. That it, so it, it's a, a little bit unfortunate in a format like Commander where you want to be like free active. You want to like hold instance up and you want to you know keep them secret for when they're relevant but when you hit a braid off of a, a reckless impulse your opponent knows okay maybe i just don't play artifacts for the next turn that is a, a downside but i do certainly uh like that they are giving red new ways to go up on cards the final thing that i want to mention about uh, building the, the the deck and then maybe we can go about uh, we can talk about our suggestions for now to improve the color. Uh, I, I just really like that uh, while I was building the deck at some point, I realized that I can just run Blood Moon, Magus of the Moon, uh, Ruination, and uh, mm-hmm. From the Ashes, like without <laughs> without getting basically punished at all. I think this is mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, these are extremely powerful cards that if you if you get to cast them early uh, and you're in a field, you know, in a, in a pod, with multicolored deck, you can really um, screw other people. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, uh, I really like this aspect. Maybe we need more of this, but I'm skeptical about the fact that uh, Wizards would uh, would go this direction because this is perceived as a feedback, something that players really don't like. And, uh, yeah, these are all old cards for a reason because... Mm. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like to print these kind of things uh, nowadays. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like they, this, I don't know if we're going to get a whole a lot of new options in that pantheon of like red non-basic hosers. I, I am happy to move into what red needs. So, what are your thoughts on on like the most important gaps in in red's color identity? So um, the first and probably most important uh, problem with red for me is is the lack of a clear uh, thematic identity. So when I think about uh, what colors want to do, it's clear for me that white likes, you know, uh, small creatures that sometimes are hate bear, so to go wide, slow your opponent's game plan, and eventually win the game with your army of small creatures. Uh, blue uh, likes non-creature spells and artifacts, and, and this partially overlaps with red, and we will discuss about the fact that I think this is a bit of a problem. Uh, black likes the graveyard, likes uh, using uh, the graveyard as a resource, recording stuff from the graveyard, um, and uh, discarding, uh, making other people discard. And green uh, likes creatures, like just big and efficient creatures. Actually, the bigger, the better. Uh, But what is the identity of red? Like if we think about red in magic, what is its uh, its identity? So there is definitely some affinity with artifacts. Um, There are, you know, there are synergies with artifacts, and you can build 
some decent mono-red artifact decks, like uh, Doretti is one that is very, uh, very famous. Um, and there is some affinity with uh, non-creature spells. Uh, there are storm commanders like Bergy, but these are very specific directions. Uh, they are definitely, you know, you have to pick a very specific deck building direction to, to, to build in this way. Um, what I mean is that, as we mentioned before, like when you, when you build the, 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 the green good stuff deck, as you mentioned, you just basically, if you take the top 100 cards, uh, <laughs> most popular 100 cards in green, you will end up with a deck that does exactly that just by accident. Mm -hmm. Whereas with red, like you cannot just take the top 100 cards and ending up with some decent artifact bait and then, you know, slapping the red as the commander and, and, and saying, Oh, I have a mono red artifact deck because you will have a lot of stuff that doesn't synergize at all with your deck. Um, and I think that part of the problem, as I mentioned before, is that these themes uh, have a big overlap with blue. Uh, so, and this I think we can clearly see when we consider that some of the best commanders for both uh, artifact strategies and for spell slinger or storm strategies are actually in the Izzet uh, color identity. So, in the artifact. Uh, uh, department, we have Joyra, which is probably the best artifact commander in casual EDH at least. Uh, okay, we, we can discuss maybe Urza is, is a contender, which is a blue, who's a blue commander. And in the Spesslinger department, we have Veyran, Mizix, Nib Mizzet, you know, all commanders that are extremely, extremely powerful and efficient. Even when we compare mono red to, to mono blue, uh, I would say that like, Commanders as Urza or Embry are, are much stronger than all than Doretti or the others. So what I mean to say is that even if you want to build uh, in uh, one of these directions, like Artifacts or Spellslinger, let's say Storm, there's not much of a reason to be uh, much of a payoff in going mono mono red. Like often, if you if you just go Is it or even Blue you can do it better. So it's not clear what what Reds wants what, what Reds wants to do in, in Commander to me. Yeah. And and also I think part of the basically the only reason that mono red artifacts is possible is because you can have Duretti or or maybe like Kirkesh in the command zone. The truth is if you're trying to build like a mono red artifacts deck without something very directly supportive in the command zone it it falls apart because you only have the one goblin welder uh and the one goblin engineer and then it just falls off after that like scrap welder i've tried him in red artifact decks and it's just not nearly good enough um like red hasn't gotten it, it needs a critical mass of the the like i swap something from the, the battlefield with something in my graveyard like if you can consistently get that every game then yeah it's really sweet okay i can i can sculpt my graveyard i can play some kind of crappy sack fodder i can i can get this portal to phyrexia out really early but if you don't have Duretti in the command zone getting making that happen 
it it's just not going to be consistent in any way absolutely and i think that you know the cards that you mentioned it would be amazing actually it would be a great direction i think for for the identity of uh, of red like because we have exactly cards like goblin welder goblin uh, engineer also trash from trash from treasure uh, trash i don't remember the name of the trash for treasure trash yeah. for treasure exactly and it, so this 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 is something that is not uh, the the identity of like reanimating artifacts is something that is not uh, explored so much in uh, in magic in general like black likes to reanimate um, creatures uh, white does a little bit of small creatures and um, enchantment reanimation uh, it would be great if red was given uh, more tools to go the the um, artifact reanimation uh, route um, I think it would be a great way to give um, a stronger identity to red um, uh, yeah uh, an identity that for the moment is is missing uh, at least in my opinion yeah I, I definitely think so and and just other forms of graveyard interaction would be great as well like we like Felden of the third path is the only card like it in in mono red uh just offering this way to okay you get to reanimate something for one turn and then it's gone like that feels pretty red and that would give you another reason to make use of your red rummaging spells and it it's doing reanimation in a way that feels more red uh that would be a very easy distinction to make between it and black reanimation of like okay you know when i animate dead something i get it back forever whereas when red gets something back it's only for one turn that will inform the type of targets you you choose but it's not something that's really been explored in that way another thing that would be great is is to get more cards like mizix's mastery or past in flames or even underworld breach maybe not quite at the power level of underworld breach but similar just more um you get things back once right now and you're done that would also give another reason to to play around with your graveyard in in red yeah so i i absolutely agree that um you know it would be great to have also uh, apart from just ways to um, to reanimate for example artifacts for, from the graveyard also other ways to uh to take advantage of the of, of spells in the graveyard um, it's, it's also interesting that you mentioned Underworld Breach. This is one another of the cards that people usually bring up to prove the point that red doesn't need help in Commander. But personally, what I found is that despite the fact that um, that this card is definitely incredibly strong in CDH, I don't find it to be so generically good. Like uh, in my good stuff deck that I tried to brew, I didn't even include it because my experience with the card that is that when I try to include it in a random deck just for value, it never really works. I think you really have to build your deck in a way to to really take advantage of the Underwood Breach. Otherwise, it will not, you know, perform. Um, you know, it will not perform well enough. 
Yeah, it definitely requires some infrastructure to make it happen. You need to have your wheels. You probably need to have some good rituals. If maybe some of the listeners are not familiar with uh, CDH, the, the way it works in CDH is usually that you have your underwood breach, uh, then you have your brain freeze and your lion's eye diamond. So basically you can keep looping the lion's eye diamond from the graveyard, making uh, all the mana that you need, casting the brain freeze over and over. The brain freeze will feed your underworld breach, and uh, sooner or later you will get your uh, Tassa's Oracle and uh, end the game by just uh, by just casting Tassa's Oracle once you're emptied your library. But you know, if you're trying to use underworld breach the fair way, my experience is that it doesn't really work very well. So yeah, it, it would be amazing to have. Um, I think something something that ex- exemplifies this uh, is something I want, wanted to mention. You know the the famous uh, cycle of um, busted lands from, uh, what, was it Urza Saga? I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Gas Cradle, Serra Sanctum, uh, Tolarian Academy, and uh, uh, Phyrexian Tower. And uh, mm-hmm. and someone said, because the, the red member of the cycle is famously bad compared to the other ones, is Shivan Gorge. Mm-hmm. I think it's two and a red tap deals one damage to each opponent or something like this. Yeah, yeah. And someone said it should have been tap to add one red for each uh, instant and sorcery in your graveyard or something like that. And I really like this idea. Like, blue cares about non-creature spells, but it, it cares about the non-creature spell that you cast. And red mm-hmm. could care about the non-creature spells in your graveyard. And so, you know, more stuff, as you mentioned, as Music Six Mastery, uh, Past in Flames. I think we got recently in the Doctor Who decks uh, a card similar to Past in Flames. I don't remember the name, though. It's like a six-mana enchantment that that gives flashback to the, the cards in your graveyard during your turn. But it would be nice to have more of this. It's called Return the Past. I'm not sure how good this card is, but I like the the direction of giving us more stuff similar to that that lets us take advantage of red cards, red spells in the graveyard. Absolutely, yeah, I feel the same way. Hopefully we see more options like this. Although it is challenging in a color that doesn't have a ton of card draw and doesn't have a ton of tutors. Like you kind of have to run a critical mass of everything you want to see during a game um, you can't just kind of run the one crater hoof and your 10 tutors or the one exsanguinate and your 10 tutors that's an additional burden that that mono red has to deal with yeah and that's definitely uh, the reason why we need more efficient card advantage uh, options as I mentioned previously, talking about uh, impulse draw, the situation has improved a lot in the past years, but we still are not uh, are not there. Just to give an example, like white got Esper Sentinel, and it's not the single card, but it's the fact that in white you have so many ways, like to tutor uh, small creatures with your Ranger Captain of Eos or stuff like that. You know, you give a card like that to white, it's just perfect. Is one of the best card draw engines in uh, in the game, and is in a color that has a ways to get it from the deck. Uh, red would need, I think, something. I'm not sure what, but along those lines, a couple of cards 
maybe on the same power level would be nice. Okay, maybe something on the power level of S per centine is even too much. But, you know, something that is just generically good, that just uh, um, fits in reds, color identity, in what reds want to do, uh, that um, that can give you some decent card advantage. Uh, I also want to mention that, like I, I mentioned how much I like cards like Rens Resolve, Reckless Impulse. I was so bummed that, like, we recently get, got one of the best of these spells, which is Seek the Beast. But this is stable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's in a it's a stable to a green card, so so, so it has a green color identity, and you cannot run it in a mono red deck. Uh, yeah, that's the first one we saw. That was just an instant. It's like, oh my god, please let me get this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you. Um, so we've kind of been playing around in the space of like here's an existing red card i want to see more of those is there anything that has up until this point been off limits for red that you think wizards should reevaluate their stance on because like you know a couple years ago the the company line on white card draw was like white doesn't draw cards and eventually it became white can draw cards when it would normally like say you can't do something like instead of you know you can't cast non-creature spells it becomes whenever you cast a non-creature spell if you don't pay the tax i draw the card do you think that there's anything that wizards should reconsider when it comes to the hard and fast rules of red's color identity yeah that's a very interesting question and it's not so easy to to answer so the first thing that comes to my mind is um, is the creature removal, and uh, it's uh, it's not such an easy you know it's not so easy to say oh you know red just should have creature removal because we know that there are issues with printing uh, cards that are too efficient at removing creatures in red. So a very famous example is the card uh, Anoli Heat which actually is considered by, I think, Mark Rosewater considers it uh, a, a color pie break. And what is the reason? So the card Anoli Heat uh, is an instant that deals two damage to, a, I think, a creature or planeswalker. Maybe just a creature. Yeah. yeah. But if you have Delirium, it deals six damage, and it's a single red mana. And as it was discussed many times also by Saffron Olive, when you start, you know, when it starts to be too much, too much damage for too little mana, it becomes very similar to destroy target creature. This is, by the way, also the reason, and I just want to mention this because I know that some people don't agree, many people don't agree. This is the reason also why Blasphemous Act is considered a color pie break nowadays. Because mm-hmm. it can cost as low as one mana, and it's basically destroy all creatures. So what I mean to say is that Red, in my opinion, needs some ways some to re- get rid of creatures more efficiently, but it cannot only be we print a one mana deals eight damage. Because for the simple reason that this it would be considered a color pipe break, this would, would not be printed. Also, it would be broken in 60-card uh, in mm-hmm. formats. I think that cards like uh, Zoyowa's Justice are uh, the direction probably to go in if we want to keep these cards, uh, you know, in color pie for red, 
and not broken in 60 card formats. So some answers in the direction of Zoyowa's justice, I think, uh, is I think is what one thing that for sure we need to to keep red uh, to to make red red better in Commander. One thing I've kicked around that I think could potentially feel red, not be color pie breaking, is like what, what do you think about like an instant one in a red uh, deals any amount of damage to you and target creature. So you can hit something big, but you're taking a bunch of damage at the same time. Does that feel like, does that feel like a color pride break or does that feel like outside of red's wheelhouse? I mean, my, my reply just by, I mean, I haven't thought about it a lot, of course, but I, I think that it does feel a color pride break because it feels too similar to what black would do. Like in black, you have cards like uh, Toxic Deluge, right? You pay X life, all creatures get minus X, minus X. And this card would basically be, you know, very similar. Or like Vendetta. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And this this hypothetical card would be uh, very similar. Also, I'm a bit scared of it in, in like modern and other formats where you can just, you know, cast the one ring, get protection from everything cast my remove a spell. I don't mind how much damage I take because it's prevented. I kill your Merktide regent or whatever. So I don't know. It's, it's the dangerous card, I think. Okay. All right. Just a thought. But it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting uh, thought experiment, I think. What are some of the other areas that you think red could use some help in? You know, in the same way, green was stealing part of the color identity of white for a while, and now it's uh, this identity is going back to white. Now, you know, in green, you don't see m- many more cards. So something that I know for sure that they want to avoid to print in green today are cards that draw you cards. For example, uh, if you play creatures of uh, no matter mm, the size of the creature, right? Something like Beast Whisperer and Guardian Project are considered today almost color pie breaks in green because you can play small creatures and draw cards. And green is supposed to draw cards for big creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's leave on the side the fact that this, this has led to some broken cards uh, like up the beanstalk. Of course, not broken in EDH, but broken in in modern and uh, other formats. So white got back this part of the color, color pie of the color identity from green. And I think that red can get something from blue so for a long time, red cared about the specific type sorcery. I think that in the cycle of wishes from from judgment, I think the red one tutors for a sorcery in particular. I don't know. Maybe blue can can uh, can tutor for instance, and red can tutor for sorceries. Maybe exactly as we were mentioning before, caring about how many sorceries you have in the graveyard, casting sorceries from the graveyard. You know, maybe blue can totally kind of get the the part of the color pie where it cares about uh, artifacts, non-creature spells being cast, and red uh, can care about. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like, but but I would like. I think it would be a, a a really cool direction if we could, you know, remove some of this overlap that there currently is between red and uh, blue both caring about non-creature spells and giving a more def- defined identity to to the two colors 
Yeah, I I really think that um, Wizards needs to reevaluate sort of how it divvies up the card types. You know, which which color is the favorite of each card type or whatever, because it's it's been kind of unequally distributed for a while. What's the land color? Okay, it's green. What's the creature color? For a long time, it was green. Now, arguably, it's supposed to be white likes the small creatures. Green likes the big creatures. What's the color for enchantments? Supposedly, it's white if you ignore the fact that all the good enchantress cards are green. And it's like, what the, what's the color for artifacts? Blue. What's the color for instants and sorceries? Blue. Like, what's black number one in? Unclear. What's red number one in? Also unclear. There's definitely room to shift things around a little bit. Give these these fun uh, synergies to more colors. So I, I do like the idea of putting sorceries more in red's wheelhouse and when i asked you earlier like what company line would you challenge or like what aspect of the color pie would you challenge i think red not being able to tutor is the thing i would challenge because at this point every other color can tutor for something even white can tutor for enchantments it can tutor for small creatures it can tutor for um auras and equipment it can tutor for legendary cards it can tutor for planeswalkers <laughs> I, I think it's silly to say like the four best colors in commander can do this thing but the worst one is not allowed to do it a tutor for sorceries i think would be a great tool for red would give it a lot of redundancy for its most important effects. I, I totally agree. As I mentioned, I would like to see some tutors for sorceries, but I already know what the you know the the counter argument would be from a designer, wizard designer, uh, is the fact that tutors don't feel red because red is supposed to be a color that doesn't have a clear plan. Like it doesn't plan for the future. This is why we get impulse draw, right? Red is a color mm. that's not supposed to plan for the future. It's a color that's supposed to act in the immediate moment. And so all these ways like to get a long-term planning card advantage don't feel red. But I want to propose uh, a solution for this. Uh, and I think this ties in with the discussion that we had before about uh, using the graveyard more. Why not giving red more cards like Gamble? It doesn't have to be strictly the same as Gamble, right? So for example, Gamble is a tutor that feels red because you could discard uh, that card. This is great, and it would it would be even better if red had much more graveyard recursion. Because you would say, I don't care that my card ends up in the graveyard because I can cast it from the graveyard. So, for example, mm-hmm. a card that is really mm, is really mm, nice to gamble for is Past in Flames, because you really don't care if it ends up in the graveyard or in your hand. You can cast it anyway. And um, why? not give us more of the same, but also like some cards that could be along the lines of Chaos Warp or Tibalt's Trickery. So these are cards that allow you uh, to answer uh, something, but uh, there is an unpredictability factor in the fact that your opponent gets something else. So, okay, this is difficult to make work with tutors. I'm just improvising, you know, I didn't really think about it, but like, of course, of course. What if, for example, you know, print, we print a tutor that 
uh, you can tutor for something and then your opponent also gets something. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, by revealing cards from the top of their deck until they reveal a card with a certain type. Or maybe a tutor that uh, you can tutor for two cards and one opponent can choose one uh, at random uh, and you get one of the two. You know, stuff like this. Stuff that feels mm-hmm. red, but you can still take advantage of it. And I think that going in the direction of something like Gamble is perfect, especially if we go the direction that we propose to to make the the ability of red to interact with the graveyard stronger. So I think we are going in the direction of a color that would have, you know, artifacts and sorceries as their uh, types it cares about, but it would care the, the same way as black cares about creatures in the graveyard as opposed to green caring about creatures on the field, red could be the color that cares about sorceries and artifacts in the graveyard and not, you know, when they are cast or in the field. And you could get thematic tutors along this direction. I think it would be really cool. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, reckless handling from earlier this year was a really promising sign. And hopefully they, they play around in that design space some more. Exactly. So they showed us that they can do this by making it feel red. And if we had ways to take advantage of the graveyard even uh, in a more efficient way, this w- these cards would be even better. Because basically the reasoning would be, yes, it feels very red. I don't know if I'm discarding it or not. Oh, but my color is now so good at taking advantage of the graveyard that I actually don't mind if the cards uh, the card ends up in the graveyard, right? Basically, you would have your kind of sometimes entomb, sometimes uh, demonic tutor. Yeah, definitely. All right. I want to move on to the topic finishers. How do you feel about Red's current status when it comes to finishers? And is there some easy way to improve its its position here? So regarding finishers, uh, as I mentioned before, I think that part of the problem is that yeah many of the red finishers are not generic stuff like you know you can have your torment of Elfire or or your exsanguinate but require a very specific setup some kind of finisher that i like personally and i think it works very well in um casual commander and i mentioned already before are cards that like insurrection or mob rule or disrupt the quorum that basically lets you take control of your opponent's creatures um, or goad them and, um, and, uh, and and end the game that way. Actually, I was thinking about something, so let me, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Taunt uh, from the Rampart could have been mono-red? I don't think there's any reason it couldn't have been. Both of those lines of text have appeared on mono-red cards before. So I'd have no problem with that. And that card, at least in my opinion, we should just remind maybe what it does. But Yeah, Tom for the Rampart is three red-white for a sorcery. Goad all creatures your opponents control. Until your next turn, those creatures can't block. So in practice, this is extremely close to an insurrection. Um, It basically forces your opponents to do what you would have done if you were going to insurrection and it only costs five mana. Um, so 
I agree that this absolutely could have been a mono red card and could potentially have been a mono red finisher. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that this card is uh, so powerful. Like in my experience, I've seen it. Ca- I've cast it sometimes. I've seen it cast a couple of times. It usually, uh, it, I mean, one maybe two players, maybe all your all the, all the players are are dying. I mean, I've never seen. Uh, uh, um, discard cast and no one dying as a result of it. So it's an amazing card, and I think it could have been mono red. And I think uh, this is a nice, uh, you know, kind of finisher, especially in casual commander, in which usually people are trying to end the game with combat. Uh, it's a it's a kind of direction that I that I really like. And um, something else that that I think it would be nice to have a critical mass of is uh, damage uh, doubling and tripling spells. Uh, so cards like Fire Emancipation, uh, City on Fire, Solfim. Um, because, so this kind of leads us to, um, you know, uh, something that uh, I think we, we discussed maybe in one of the previous episodes um, and briefly touched on uh, touched upon today, and is the fact that um, Red's strategy of... Um, uh, going fast and burning your opponent can work in 60 card formats, but those cards must be balanced for a format in which your opponents have 20 life. And in Commander, it's much harder to uh, make this works, make, make, the, make this work. So, how do we make it work? Well, I think that if we get a critical mass of damage, doubling, tripling uh, cards, we can, um, we can go that direction. So basically, we can bring the classic red strategy of uh, uh, burning your opponent or you know going fast with the direct damage, uh, which never really worked very well in Commander. We can bring this to uh, to the EDH format. Yeah, and I really like that um, those kinds of cards unlock like earthquakes as potential win conditions. Before I went like completely commander agnostic with my my mono red good stuff list, I tried a version that ran Solfim in the command zone, and the main win condition was I'm gonna burn the table out. Like they do give you an option to end the game. I I, I really like what they open up for other cards. Yeah, because you you break the symmetry, right? So this is this is something that. That we often see in uh, in uh, in magic in general, like sometimes the the secret to take advantage of a, a card is to find a way to break the symmetry. And if these cards deal, you know, a regular amount of damage to you and triple the damage to your opponent, then here you have it. You've broken the symmetry, and you have a way to actually uh, end the game using these cards. So that's a great idea. So I think it may be time to move into like thirty thousand foot view. What are what are your your final thoughts not only on on red in commander but also in relation to the other colors like did going through all the colors in this way give you any new insights Yeah absolutely it was very very interesting to prepare for this episode actually because I had to think about all these different aspects of of the of the colors in commander and uh, so my general thought uh, is uh, yeah, my general thoughts are that I think that uh, so for a, for a long time in the past years, green was too good. 
I, I like that now they are kind of giving it a more um, contained identity that they are giving back the fact, uh, you know, that, that you should care about small creatures to white. Green was was doing too many things too well, uh, at least in casual commander, it was by far the strongest color. And now they are giving some of these things back to white and to other colors. I like this direction. I think that white is in an excellent place with all the new tools that it got. I, I especially like, personally, since I, I like graveyard recursion, I like that we are getting more and more ways in white to take advantage of the graveyard. We just saw basically a white version of Unearth being printed, which is amazing. Black for me is kind of a, a peculiar case because I think that it. I would like... As I mentioned before, so I think that regarding power level, it's in a good spot, but it feels a bit stale. So I would like to see more novelty in the commanders that we get in, in, in black. I would like to finally get something different and not, you know, the you the thing we mentioned before, that this thing in which you, you can have only the same pile of black stables and it works perfectly with all of the top I don't know 30 black commanders as basically so some more novelty in black wouldn't be uh, would be great in my opinion um, and I think that blue is actually in my opinion is is very close to to red in the fact that it does need some help especially in the department of finishers in the fact and this is related to red right like the, in the fact that it needs a more clearly defined identity in uh, Commander. I think, as I mentioned before, part of the problem is that the identity of blue and red are still kind of overlapping. And, and I think that, yeah, part of giving these colors a better, more well-defined identity is to separate them a little bit. To conclude, I think that blue and red are the colors that need the most help and not only mechanical help but yeah i would really really like like my my top if i if i were a designer like the the top priority priority for me would be really to give them a clear identity this would be the priority and then i think everything can come from there so i i definitely agree that green has been at an advantage for a long time and I have also noticed that it's appeared to be more restrained lately. Appreciated that development. I think it's overall in a good place. I don't mind that there haven't been a ton of new green cards printed lately that really reached the level of format staple. It's okay that that's been kind of pulled back recently. I think white is doing a lot better than it was. I'd like to see the current trends continue but they're for sure on the right track. Black, I would say, I agree that it's a little stale. One thing I want to see more of is the like feed the swarm type cards. Like it, it appears to be solidly in Black's color pie that it can answer enchantments. We saw a common in Wilds of Eldraine that was just straight destroy target creature or enchantment, but it was at five mana, which is certainly not the rate it needs to be in order to see play and commander. So I think there's a lot of room to like build out that suite of cards. Like it's great 
that you say black can do this, but if we don't get it at a good enough rate, it's irrelevant. Wouldn't mind seeing more just like simple black card draw spells. And then I agree that blue could probably use some better win conditions. Could could you expand on like how you see blue's position? I didn't really feel that like mono blue was hurting. It was just like really difficult to win the game. Like I felt I could answer things. I felt I could refill my hand. But tell me more about your your thoughts on blue's weakness in commander. I mean, of course, it's uh, it's an incredible support color. Uh, so let's just get this out of the way. Like if you're just you know getting the support cards and uh, winning the game some other way, it's it's great. And I guess that you you might uh, you know as I mentioned before, yeah, you might say I just win with uh, some combo. Either I you know get infinite mana with my dramatic scepter combo and then cast a brain gazer or like I empty my library somehow oh, probably with infinite mana and then I play my Tassas Oracle or my Jace and I win that way this is something you already mentioned but like outside of combos there is no like you're kind of struggling for fair ways to end the game and another thing that I noticed is that and maybe this is the way that it's supposed to be but like Probably in, in the department of like uh, high quality creatures, probably blue is the only color that is struggling even more than red. And also looking at your list, like there are eight creatures in, in the whole good stuff blue deck. So it, yeah, it kind of ends up uh, with you like having all the all the answers to, to everything. And actually, can it even work? I mean, yeah, you, you have all the best counter spells. But we know that one-for-one one answers are not as good in Commander as they are in uh, in uh, 1v1. Yeah, I think that blue needs, in general, not only better finishers, but also some higher quality creatures. Maybe something that can actually advance your game plan without relying on you taking care of anything that gets cast with just your one-for-one uh, one one answers. I think that's a good point i, I kind of noticed the same thing as i was building the mono blue list and it also became like really apparent when sort of like kite sail larcenist got printed in lost caverns of ixalan it's just so much better than we've come to expect out of blue creatures it just automatically i think became like a new format staple because there just isn't many cards on that same level of quality and it is able to scale to multiplayer and answer multiple threats in a way that most of blue's answers can't do. You're you're right that blue creatures could use shot in the arm. I'm just thinking maybe I I don't know if I I help you by saying this or what if this is the direction that blue creatures could go. So for example, white always had the hate bears like the, the cards that impose some tax and slow down your opponent's game plan. And you mentioning Kitesay Larsenis made me think, like, what if blue goes the direction of, like, the small disruptive creatures, uh, but they don't disrupt the game, you know, in the way that Athalia would, like just by imposing some tax or a Grand Abolisher, right? But just by inconveniencing your opponent temporarily. Like, for example, you could have these effects that we have in blue, like this transfiguration effect, 
In the case of Kaisel Larsenis, these uh, creatures become treasures, but we have this effect like, you know, target creatures become a zero one frog or something like that. Like that. Or like uh, Tishana's Tidebinder. Yeah, exactly. Precisely that. And what if we get more of this? Like, I don't know, flash speed uh, when it enters the battlefield. For each opponent you choose a creature, it becomes a zero one one frog until this creature is on the battlefield. Something like this. And it's very important that uh, it is scaled for multiplayer, like uh, Kaitze uh, Larsenist. Because as we mentioned, like the one-for-one one answers are not as good in Commander as they are uh, in 1v1, uh, because you are virtually letting your opponents uh, as a whole going up two cards when you when you when you do a one-for-one. One. In the Lost Caverns of Ixalan commander decks, we saw Bronze Beak Foragers, which is three and a white for a three-four creature. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land permanent that player controls until Bronze Beak Foragers leaves the battlefield, and then you can pay X and a white to put a card with mana value X exiled with it into its owner's graveyard and gain X life. How would you divide the line between like Bronze Beak Foragers in white and like Kite Sail Larcenist or something similar in blue? Because it, it feels like they're doing similar things. It's like, is it the transfiguration versus exile? Is that going to be the line we draw between what makes a card blue or white? That's a very good question, and I think that uh, the answer, even though it can feel a bit obvious, is uh, yes. I, I think with the Larsenist, it's uh, kind of uh, borderline, and uh, this is why it's so good, because it uh, transforms uh, the creature into a treasure. But I think that, uh, you know, something like Bronze Big Forger, but as I mentioned before, where the creature are not exiled, uh, but they become, I don't know, one-one citizens or like something, you know, uh, as Blue has, has always um, been doing with uh, with its enchantment. I think it it will still feel uh, in flavor. Or, or, for example, it could be something related to phasing. Like, for example, we have Suspend, which is, I think, um, I mean, just is like a one blue instant. Uh, um, it's... I think it does it exile and give banishing, right? Uh, it exiles and gives suspend. And gives exactly. So sorry, suspend. I was thinking about suspend. Exactly, it's the name of the card. But like yeah. some, <laughs> something similar, but either with suspend or with banishing. And what I mean is like something a bit similar, maybe to out of time, the the white white card. Or or like or like oubliette, maybe. Oubliette, but temporary, right? Okay. So in which in which you you remove something, but it's um, it's for a limited amount of time. So it could be like you know, yeah, target creature is exiled and gains suspend, or like target creature phase out, but maybe you know for a couple turns instead of uh, for only one turn. I can see all these ways um, could be uh, a way and and stapled creatures. They could be uh, interesting ways to have disruptive uh, creatures, efficient disruptive creatures that work in blue uh, within the color pile. I like that idea. I currently don't play suspend in my blue decks, but if it put a third time counter on there, I think I probably would. And if it was like uh, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have enough time to think about the balance. So, but like, if it was a three mana 
I don't know, 2-2 two, two with flash with the same effect, but for three of your opponent creatures, would you play it? Oh yeah, easy. Yeah, because I think that's the, that's the point. We need answers that answer multiple uh, uh, creatures in Commander. This is really what we, what we want to have the best type, you know. Uh, exactly like I'd say Larsenist uh, or like the white card you mentioned before, uh, Bronze Big Forgers. I think that there is, there is design space for these kinds of cards and that blue uh, can, get, uh, can get some more of them. Yeah, it would be nice to see more of Blue's power concentrated in answers that feel nicer, because I think there there is a lot to think about in terms of designing, not only so that the colors are on like approximately equal power level, but also that they have approximately equal like social costs. Because like I mentioned earlier, green, because it's not as interactive as the other colors, it feels nicer. And like new players, they are often reluctant to like be the bad guy or whatever. So they can just play their green deck and nobody's going to get mad at them. But counter spells in blue are like the best thing you can do. You got to run counter spells in your blue deck. So it'd be nice if they pivoted away from, oh, here's a new, like, efficient two-mana counterspell that you can run and and counter your opponent's, like, I don't know, 6-6 six, six beater. Colossal Dreadmaw. Yeah, Colossal Dreadmaw, there you go. And, and pivot to, like, oh, here's a way to, like, remove it, but in a way that doesn't feel so bad for your opponents that they'll be like, oh, okay, I'll get it in a couple turns. Or, oh, okay, I just have to answer that pirate, and then I get him back. Even if the game ends before that ever happens, psychologically, they're going to feel better about it. And that, I think, will help contribute to what people end up actually playing on EDH rec. We discussed this in the episode we did uh, some time ago about field bets, about how much counter spells are a huge field bet for, for new players. So it's definitely... And, and, and we also saw how much... Wizards is shying away for, for from this kind of mechanics that are perceived as a feedback. Oh, yeah. For example, like uh, nowadays when we see an 8 bear being printed is usually for only for your opponents. And usually uh, when, when once it used to be symmetric, uh, but since it feels bad for a player to, uh, to play something that... Uh, Shuts down their cards. Exactly. And, and we're seeing, you know, how, how they're going more and more in the direction of uh, caring about the kind of player experience for good or bad like uh, for better or worse this is like for the moment this is the design philosophy of, of wizards but i think it's also important because in the end like when we discuss these things we always discussed as very enfranchised players who have been playing for a long time but it, we, we forget sometimes the fact that in order to keep the game fresh and alive we need to bring in constantly new players so it's important also to, to think about the Actually, it's the most important thing, probably, to think about the experience of a of a new player. Absolutely, I think that what they really, really want to avoid is uh, games in which one player really feels bad and unhappy about the uh, about the game, and and like they cannot do anything, mm-hmm. and the only the other players gets to gets to play. Right? This is why we don't get, uh, as we mentioned before, we don't get new blood moons or uh, this super powerful kind of stacks effects. I've also noticed like we just haven't really gotten any sort of multiplayer oriented discard 
in a really long time. Like, oh, they'll print new discard commanders like Aklazots, but like every discard deck you're going to build uses cards from more than 10 years ago. Uh, I, I cannot uh, quote, you know, specific examples at the moment, but I have the impression that today, if there is some discard card, your opponent is getting something back, right? Something like discard, but then draw a card or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's always like, I mean, I, I definitely see that they have, you know, focused on which which mechanics or which play patterns are perceived as feel bad from players and they're trying to avoid them in the in the design mm-hmm. so for better or for worse this is something that probably will stay for a long time and to tie back to our discussion this influences how monocolors play out okay we're, we're into the second hour now uh i know i asked for your final remarks but any last thoughts before we wrap up the episode yes i do want to say something and I want to say that, like, uh, <clears throat> while looking at the decks you built and the, the one that I built for the episode, the mono red deck, I was reminded also of how fun it is to build uh, monocolor decks. I think this is an exercise that uh, is useful and fun for every commander player for the reason that, you know, you really notice uh, the identity of the color, what is missing, what are the strengths and weaknesses. You really work in a way that is as limited as possible. As we often say, you know, restrictions breed creativity. And like one of the strongest restrictions in Commander is to say that you are building using only a single color. And another thing that I really liked is that I noticed that there are some cards that uh, don't see a lot of play in non-monocolor decks that ended up being included in our decks, especially cards that care about basic land types or snow lands, you know, cards like Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, or Scred, Graven Lore, Dead of Winter. These are cards that you don't find uh, a lot in multicolored decks, so it's cool to have them find a place. Yes, and I really did love in uh, how Kamigawa Neon Dynasty how they they had those like four pip cards. Like there is design space for monocolor. Like they can they. They print powerful new multicolor cards all the time, but by just messing with the number of pips, they can do the same thing. They can juice the power level of these cards to the point where they can see play in Commander and be tools that are useful just for the monocolor decks uh, and, and just make it more exciting and make it feel like you're not just lacking things by by choosing to play a monocolor deck. Yeah, Absolutely. Please, Wizards, give us more rewards for playing monocolors. I, I, I really like this, like Trono, Trono Drain or these kind of cards that uh, reward you for, for playing uh, only a single color. Scepter of Eternal Glory. Exactly. Now, it's something I, I personally really enjoy. Like, I like uh, monocolor or two-color decks just because I really enjoy the restriction and, uh, and feeling the identity of the colors. Like if you have a five-color pile, yeah, it's full of stables, very strong, but it doesn't feel like it has much of an mm-hmm. identity for me. I totally agree. All right, as we're wrapping this up, uh, I want to give a thank you to Raphael, who uh, provided one of the mono-red decks that we're going to list in the episode description. Uh, I want to thank you, Valerio, for coming back on the show. Uh, this has been another very fruitful discussion And uh, I hope that sometime in the near future, we can find another juicy topic to dive into. Sure, Nick. It's always a pleasure for me and I can't wait to come back. And thank you to the listener for listening. And I hope this has been enjoyable for you as well.
You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. Thank you.